0: This is the Flourish to 7 Figures podcast with Monica Louie, episode number 116. Welcome to the Flourish to 7 Figures podcast, where we help online entrepreneurs grow their influence, amplify their impact, and scale their businesses all the way to seven figures. And now, here's your host, Monica Louie. Hey, hey, thank you so much for joining me for the Flourish to 7 Figures podcast. I'm your host, Monica Louie, and today I've got another inspiring interview heading your way. My guest today runs a culinary media company that reaches more than 2.5 million people per month. Plus, she's written more than 40 cookbooks. She's up to amazing things, and she's sharing how she's built her culinary empire and a whole lot more. But first, if you're new to the podcast and you don't know me yet, I want to welcome you. I'm Monica Louie. I'm a Facebook and Instagram ad strategist, and I run a successful ads agency where my team and I manage ads for six, seven, and eight figure online businesses. I'm also the creator of Flourish with Facebook ads, which is my online training program that teaches my step-by-step system for creating campaigns that convert. My team and I have managed more than $3 million in ad spend and served thousands of students and clients. And we are in the trenches every single day, keeping a pulse on what's working now in the world of Facebook and Instagram ads. As you know, Facebook ads are always changing. So if you want to stay in the know with all the changes related to Facebook and Instagram ads, I invite you to join my free email newsletter. When you join at monicalouie.com guide, you will also get my free Facebook ad starter kit as a bonus. Now this podcast is all about what it takes to flourish to seven figures. And my guest today has built not one, but two highly successful food blogs that reach millions of visitors every single month. My guest is Christine Pittman. Christine is a cookbook author and founder of cookthestory.com, where her passion is to create recipes that take less time in the kitchen, giving you more time to relax and have fun in life. She's also the founder and editor-in-chief of thecookfull.com, Her websites reach over two and a half million people a month and many of whom also enjoy her podcast, Time Management Insider. Christine's love for cooking started early, watching and listening to her mother and grandmother in the kitchen and working in her parents' restaurants starting at age 12. She is the mom of two amazing kids, age nine and 13, and she's also a nature buff, podcast addict, and paint-by-numbers expert. Today, Christine shares with us how she pivoted from her master's degree program in linguistics to food blogger professional as a brand new mom. Plus, she talks about her blueprint for page view success. Christine grew her blog to 1 million plus page views in under two years once she started doing this strategy that she shares with us, and she grew her second blog, The Cookful, to over 500,000 visitors a month in less than two years. She shares the key components to launching her second food blog, including the systems she uses to manage multiple writers and strategically craft her content, how she uses data and analytics to determine which posts to write next to get the boost in traffic she's looking for. Plus, we talk about how she monetizes her blogs, including what's working best for her now and which monetization strategies she stopped focusing on plus a whole lot more. This was a fantastic interview. I absolutely loved getting to know Christine. And if you are a blogger or a content creator of any type, this episode is for you. Now, before we dive in, I want to make sure you know that you can find all the links and resources that are mentioned in today's episode at monicalouie.com slash 116. That's M-O-N-I-C-A-L-O-U-I-E dot com slash the number 116. All right. Here's my interview with the lovely Christine Pittman from cookthestory.com and thecookful.com. Hey, Christine, thank you so much for joining me on the Flourish to Seven Figures podcast. I'm so excited for our conversation today. Welcome.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Monica. I'm excited too.
0: All right. So let everybody know who you are and what you do today in the online world.
1: Yeah. So my name is Christine Pittman and I have a culinary media company. So that is all kinds of media to do with food and cooking. We have two websites, cookthestory.com and thecookful.com. There are over 40 cookbooks at this point. I've lost track a little bit. And there is a podcast, Time Management Insider, where we focus on time management for inside the home with an emphasis on meal planning and cooking, because that is what I love to talk about. Yeah. And we've got, you know, YouTube videos and social media and all, all the stuff that goes along with having media in the culinary space. Wow.
0: I love it. Okay. And I want to dive into how you got started in this. I mean, was it always your dream to have an online media company or, you know, how did you, how did you get into the blogging world?
1: Yeah, no, it was not only not a dream, but I don't even think I knew it existed. I actually even remember I wanted to write a cookbook a very long time ago. And somebody said, why don't you just start a blog? And I said, well, why would I give my recipes away for free? This was like in you know 2002 or something, you know what I mean? Like just way back. Yeah. It just didn't even occur to me. And then what happened was I had been doing grad school. I was in linguistics at the university of Toronto and my then husband got a really cool job offer in Orlando and we just had a baby. And so I was on like maternity leave for my program and we just decided to come and try to do things in the States, in Florida. And while I was here, I, I, I was sort of feeling homesick and missed my friends and family. And I had this thought that, you know, maybe I should start putting those recipes up online to share them with my loved ones back home and sort of connect with them over that. And my family had had restaurants when I was growing up, I, I sort of grew up in the restaurant industry. And so the recipe development, like testing recipes and and making sure that they worked was something that my mom had always done for the restaurant. And so it just kind of came really naturally. And before long, I had this blog up and I was sort of stay at home mom with our new baby in a new country and putting recipes up online. And I don't know, it just kind of grew from there. So what year was that when you actually launched the blog? So the first blog uh, was launched in 2009 and it was, I was trying to do like restaurant reviews and then I would just every now and then pop a recipe in there and realize that it was the recipes that I liked best. So cook the story, which is my more like personal food blog. That one launched in 2010.
0: Okay. So. What was your career path? What was your goal with going to grad school for linguistics? What did did you have your sights on that you were going to do with your life?
1: Yeah. So I was studying linguistics and my focus was on the morphosyntax of Inuktitut. So that is the, the interaction between word structure and sentence structure in an Eskimoan language. So spoken by the Eskimo or Inuit people, as they prefer to be called in like way up North, like near the Arctic Circle. So, I was that was my research area. And I was, I really wanted to be a professor. I loved teaching at the university. I was teaching classes by then. And I loved the research. And that's what I was doing. But when I moved to Florida, it, you know, the disconnect between that department that I was from, and, you, you know, there aren't as many Inuit people in Florida as there are in Canada. Uh, there was just, it just became a little bit more difficult to pursue that. And also, you know, with having, having a child, that academic lifestyle, the, you know, publisher parish and trying to get tenure and all of that just seemed really daunting and seemed to be in the way of trying to have the sort of family life that I wanted. I, I will interrupt my own self there and say that I ended up working tons of hours. Now I do, you know, I work a ton and I was completely wrong that I couldn't have done academia and been a successful mom at the same time. But just in that new phase with the new baby, I just couldn't imagine it. And it just wasn't like resonating with me as much anymore.
0: And so you started this blog and when So as a, as a way to keep connected with, with friends from home, family from back home, and when did it, when did you kind of see that shift of it turning into a business? And, and when did, like, did you look to monetize from the beginning? Did you know about monetization? When did that kind of like shift into the business realm
1: take place? Yeah, it's, it's kind of funny because when I first came here, my husband had a, work permit. He was British and he was allowed to work in the United States, but I was Canadian. I'm still Canadian. And I didn't have work authorization and it was going to be sort of not impossible, but it was going to be a bit of a time before I could get that. So for the first little while, it didn't even occur to me to monetize because I couldn't earn money legally in the United States or start a business in the United States. And that, so that was just not even on my mind as a, a thing that I could do. But then I started doing... Some partnerships with brands and giveaways and different things, and eventually I got a green card. And then it was Stonyfield Yogurt who offered me a very a larger brand ambassadorship, and I was like, "Oh wow, I, I can actually like actually do something with this." And then as my page views started to go up on the blogs, I, I had had like Google AdSense little ads or whatever. And then I realized that I qualified for one of the larger ad networks. And I was, oh, okay, I'll apply for that. So it wasn't like super strategic. It was just this like little bits here and there. And it wasn't until I went to the blogging concentrated workshop. I don't know if they still do them, but they were doing them back then. It was probably 2014. And it was just one of those, it was a a full day. And they were encouraging us to think of our blogs as our businesses and to think of ourselves as entrepreneurs And I just hadn't really thought of that before. It just wasn't, this is like my hobby. This is this fun thing that I do. Maybe it'll make some money. And it just went like click. And the the workshop was in Phoenix and I flew back to Florida the next day. And I just, I, I bought the Wi-Fi on the flight and I just made like crazy amounts of notes on what was happening on my blog and what was doing well. And and like really started thinking about this like strategically. It was this like shift like, oh, I'm doing okay with this thing, but I'm not even thinking about it. What could it be if I actually put some strategy and some thought? If I actually thought of this as a real business?
0: What were you doing up until that point to grow the grow your blog or was, I mean, were you, were you trying to grow it and get more eyes on it or were you just kind of like if it grows it grows it's still my hobby and then you had this shift and then so what were you doing before and what were you doing after what changed at that point
1: yeah so so i was doing some somewhat business-minded things so i early on started a second blog i don't have it anymore but it was called food blog best practices And it was inspired by some conference talks that I'd been to about copyright issues to do with recipes and blogging. And I got really passionate about how we as as food bloggers can both protect our content and also make sure that we are not stealing or violating other people's copyright. So I was writing some stuff about that. And through that, BlogHer ended up inviting me to come speak at a conference on a panel about recipe copyright at their food blogging conference. And that's when I started to sort of make connections and I was going to conferences. I would would actually say that I think I was doing a lot in those days, networking and making connections with people. And my blog was growing through that more than I was in terms of strategically planning content or strategically doing any social media. I was, I was definitely networking with people. Mostly I was like looking for maybe those brand ambassadorships or partnerships with brands that, you know, could lead to sponsoring or, or different things like that. So I was doing those sorts of things, but not thinking about the actual traffic on my site and the content on my site as things that I could maximize to grow my traffic.
0: Okay. So, and then after you had this kind of mindset shift around, I'm going to take, you know, look at this as a business and get more strategic, and you're, you know, writing all those notes on the plane, then <laughs> what did you implement at that point?
1: Right. So, the first thing that I did was I hired my first contractor. It was our babysitter. She was looking for a summer job. And I was like, well, you know what? I need some help with some stuff. Why don't you come work for me? And what I started doing that summer was up until then, well, the year or so before that, I'd been getting a lot of these sponsorship partnerships that, I, that I'd been trying to get and What was happening was that keeping up with the sponsorship, with the content that I needed to do, that I was contracted to through these brands, it was actually taking up a lot of my website content. So I wasn't having as much time to do just my own stuff that wasn't sponsored. So what I did was I had this person come and work with me for the summer and I taught her how to edit videos and how to put together blog posts. And I spent the entire summer cooking and photographing the recipes. And then she put all these blog posts together and we scheduled them out for a whole year, essentially. We had a year of unsponsored, well-tested, good quality recipes. They weren't like this last minute, like, oh no, I've not posted in a week. I better make something quickly. None of that. It was all very like diligently done with purpose. And also part of that was strategically figuring out what those recipes should be. So I started looking through my stats and seeing what things were doing well, what things were showing up in Google searches. So what did Google possibly think that I was ranking for? Or, well, I was ranking for it. What did they think that I was authority on or or that my content was a good fit for? And also looking at social media, especially Pinterest, I guess, then to see what sorts of pins, what sorts of content were doing better on Pinterest. And then I was Coming up with my editorial calendar or essentially my recipe to do list things to make based on those statistics, the idea being that I could then have the year scheduled out all these recipes scheduled out going out I think it was two a week. And then if I got the sponsorship deals, those would be done more, not last minute, but more as needed and put in between that. So the site wouldn't be just sponsored content. And so that the content that was going up on the site would be this sort of more strategically determined content.
0: That's so interesting. Okay. So you were looking through your stats and making notes and what, what specifically, can you give us some examples of what you saw then? And then how that translated into the content that you were planning to create?
1: Yeah. uh, Yeah. So one of the things I had two soup recipes at that point that were in my top, I want to say top seven blog posts, there were two soups. And so I thought, well, why don't I try doing some traditional soups? I think they were like, one was like a sausage and pepper creamy soup, or I don't remember what it was called, but you know what if it was chicken noodle soup, something that people actually search for, maybe, maybe that would be a better idea. So kind of harnessing the, okay, maybe maybe the search engines think that I am an authority on soup or that my soup content is great. What if I try doing actual soups that people search for? And so what I did actually, with that employee that I had that summer, is I came up with a list of 52 soups that were, for the most part, things you would search for, French onion soup, mulligatawny soup, cream of celery soup, that sort of thing. And we came up with a list, and then I decided that I was going to do a 15-minute version of each of those soups. So I basically, one of the things that I was cooking that crazy summer was 52 soups that were already in under 15 minutes. And we had one of those go out each week. And so I was able to promise to my readers, you know, we're going to have one of these soups up every week for you for a year. Lots of them are dinner soups. So it's like a super quick dinner strategy that you have super quick. Sorry, Uh, that's a bad pun. A really quick um, dinner strategy. Like if you just every Monday make a big pot of this really quick hearty soup, then you'll have that for dinner and you can use the leftovers for lunches. And yeah, so that that was the idea there. So it was the soup doing well in the stats and then the deliberate strategy of coming up with soup ideas that are actual like well-known soups that people might search for and doing a whole bunch of those in a theme.
0: Okay. So and you had you you did all of this in just a summer with your with your (laughs) babysitter slash VA
1: helping you. We we did 104 recipes that summer. Yeah, and it it was actually pretty hilarious because some days I would make, you know, four four of these soups in a day. And and then my husband would come home from work and he'd say, What's for dinner? And I'd say, Well. You can have tomato basil, cream of mushroom, chicken noodle or all three. Like <laughs> Okay.
0: That that brings me to a very good question that I've been wondering for a long time about food bloggers. What okay. do you do especially when you're doing all of this content in such a short amount of time? What do you do with all the food? I mean, do the, all the neighbors know to come over and take the leftovers? Yeah. I mean, you've got kids and so, you know, do you have the friends come over? At, what do you do with all the food you're making because you're not you're not just making one recipe. You're as you said, earlier, you're testing to figure yeah. out
1: what works to create the recipe, right? So,
0: yeah. so what do you do with, with all the food that you're producing?
1: It, it's pretty tricky. And I'll add the extra layer of, of difficulty is quite often when I work with brands, they want me to make things that maybe my kids wouldn't necessarily eat. Like maybe it's got some spicy stuff in it or it, it's fancier in, in some way. And so it's not even always possible to just easily work in, oh, I made this, this spicy lasagna today using the sausages that they wanted me to use. Uh, what could I possibly do with that? I mean, it's lunch for me, I guess, but it's not going to be something they would like. I In those days, I have two neighbors who were taking a lot of the food. I would literally at the end of each day, I would send them a list of what I had available and they would pick. I was like a the original Instacart or Uber, Uber Eats. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And so we did that for, for that summer. I have frozen things. I have wasted things. I don't, I don't like it just, they stay in the fridge for too long and I'm not great at it. It, it is a tricky, especially, oh, if I'm having trouble with a recipe, if I have to make the same thing four or five times over, Mm -hmm. you know, a couple of days and three of them weren't great. Like that's a problem too. But you know, I try, I try to use my neighbors, I try to freeze what is freezeable. We we tend to eat things like soup or like lasagna or these sorts of things for lunches as well as for dinner. So there's not a lot of just like sandwich for lunch or salad for lunch kind of things going on because there are often full meals happening. Yeah, that's pretty much it. It's always been tricky, it's hard, it's overwhelming.
0: You get creative. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Uh, Okay. So you, so you hustled through this summer. So you would have content for the whole next year. Mm -hmm. And then what, what was the result of that? You know, being intentional and getting really clear on your content strategy. Then what, what was the result of that?
1: So there are two wonderful results from that. And so the first was, as I'd hoped cook the stories, traffic started to grow quite, quite a bit. I mean, I, I, I would have to go back and look at the charts, but we now get Oh, 1.5 million visitors a month to that site. And it was a huge jump around like sort of four months into that, that we started to see this steady growth. And I think it's the consistency, you know, posting two times a week, posting in theme, having that recurring soup thing happening. I think that was a huge part of it. And, And then the sponsored content. So I was posting two new recipes a week, plus anything that was sponsored. So sometimes for a week. So there was that that came of it, which was wonderful. But the thing that came of it that I am most, I don't know, grateful to myself or to the situation for is that it freed up a lot of my brain space and gave me time to like relax into the business and think a lot more about it. And as I was diving into the stats, I started noticing more of this like patterning, like I'd said, with the, the soup recipes doing well, I was noticing that you know my stuffed pepper recipes were doing really well and there were some fish recipes were doing really well and i suddenly got this idea for a second website that was topic based that was my idea behind it so my and i ended up launching my second site so what hiring that first employee getting all that crazy work done in the summer let me sort of relax enough that I was able to come up with a new, really cool idea, which was a cookful. And on that site, like I said, it's topic-based. What we do is each month we take on a new food topic, something like stuffed peppers or chicken wings or salad dressings. And we just do recipes in that topic for the month. And that site I decided that I wanted it to be contributor-based. I really wanted to help out other bloggers and give them another revenue stream. And I want—I knew that I could not myself take on all of the cooking for two websites. And so it was a contributor-based site where we take on a different topic every month and everybody submits recipes for those topics. And I was paying people. And yeah, that so the cookful came of that. And now, so that was five years ago and... Uh, six years ago, the Cookville now gets between five to 800,000 page views a month. So yeah, I really, I really feel like that working ahead, batching all of that work, getting it all scheduled out, doing that diligent strategizing around what the content should be led me both to grow the first site and give me the idea for the second one. And also probably the organizational skills, like all the crazy spreadsheets and project management that we had to do to get that summer to work made it very easy to transition to doing a similar thing on another site and having other people contribute the recipes and all of that.
0: Wow. Very cool. Okay. So when, when did
1: the Cookful launch? 2015, September of 2015.
0: Okay. So 2015. So that crazy summer was that summer of 2014 or? Yes, it was the summer okay. of
1: 2014. That's right. And all the recipes started rolling out and I had the idea for the Cookful probably like, November, December, January, somewhere in there and hired a site designer and started, I mean, started preparing the content for that site. So what I did, I really felt like at that point, unlike when I'd started Cook the Story at that point in 2015, it was very easy to start a blog and it was very common to start a blog and you often saw, you know, the hello world exclamation mark sort of blog post. It was everywhere. (laughs) And I felt really strongly that if I was going to do this, I wanted it to be clear from the beginning that this was a robust website and that we were going to make this thing work. And I really wanted to convey that topic idea that I was telling you about and I wanted it to be clear. And I was worried that like, if we just launched the site with five stuffed pepper recipes, it would look like the cookful was a website with stuffed peppers. When really it's a website with stuffed peppers as one topic, you know, and that these topics are going to change. So what we actually did is before the launch in that September, we, I think we launched with five full topics done. So on launch day, there was, I believe popcorn. So a whole bunch of recipes with popcorn, uh, stuffed peppers, I think we we grabbed some stuff from the soup recipes from Cook the Story and did a series on soups, champagne cocktails, and maybe maybe margaritas. There were, I think there were five five full topics. I think there were over sixty recipes. There were sixty blog posts, and I, it really sort of showed how this site, the topic idea behind the site, worked. But also, you know, started getting traction in in search and on social media right away because there was so much content on there.
0: Okay. So you had so in the summer of 2014, you Mm -hmm. had the babysitter help you with the content for that year push. Mm -hmm. And then so launching leading up to the launch of the cookful, was it just you doing all of this or did you hire additional help?
1: That's what yeah, I ended up hiring people. So I hired kind of like a business manager. I don't we weren't calling her that then, but a business manager and two content creators to help me. They were both local. And one of them was able, it was, a she had a, a cooking degree, culinary arts degree. And so she was, she was coming over and helping me cook, helping me with the photo shoots. And then the writing, the three of us were doing the writing. And I think I possibly had a VA at that point too, you know, early, early on, as soon as cook, the story started making money any time that I could hire somebody, to do something. That is what I did with like, you know, half of it. I feel like my spending has always been about half of the income from the site. And so, yeah, so we had a team then, (laughs) I guess. Wow.
0: Okay. So, and you had contributors who were helping like submit recipes, right? And so, so then what happened once they submitted
1: Okay. So for the launch, for those five series that we launched with, I didn't have any contributors for that. Well, I mean the two, the two sort of staff content creators, they have their names on things, but we weren't, we didn't start reaching out to bloggers until after we launched. And how did that go? That went through very, very many phases different, mostly how do we assign these? How do we find the people? How do we, you know, make, make sure we have everything by deadlines there there was a, a i want to say steep learning curve and lots of systems that needed to get put in place eventually i did hire somebody who really is a business manager who is all about systems and organization and she ended up helping she got us on basecamp and would create a a new project for each series that we were doing and would add all the contributors to that project. So they could put all their materials in there and we got that streamlined, but there, there was a while of just my email inbox was filling up with high res food images and, and blog posts. And, and it was a a bit of a mess before I got somebody who was really great at organizing all of that.
0: So are you still taking contributors to the site? So if somebody listening or knows somebody (laughs) or, or wants to contribute, how would they reach out to do that?
1: Oh, that's a great question. Actually, we have changed things slightly how we're doing things now. So uh, it used to be that we would decide on the topic and then we would do sort of a call for ideas and people would submit their ideas and then we'd choose them and they'd submit their recipes and and that's how we were doing it. So each series would have, you know, 10 or 15 different contributors to it. And we have changed that in the last, I want to say five or six months. Now what we are doing is we are encouraging cookbook authors and people with a very specialized expertise to come and do a whole series themselves. So we had, for instance, Jill Silverman-Hoff is a cookbook author. she done a lot of books with like wine pairing and, and that kind of thing. She did a series for us on salmon. So she did all the recipes, all the photography, and we are using that to sort of have consistency and coherence within the series. So she can like refer back in a way that when the recipes were all coming from different people, it was harder to, you know, say, oh, as I was showing you with making meatballs in the oven, you do the same thing, but you, you can bake these ones and here's how you do that or pan fry or whatever other method. It's easier to link to your own work and have it be like consistent internally on the site if, if you've done that work yourself, and you're not citing somebody else's. So that was sort of the idea. And also, yeah, I really wanted to be able to promote people a little bit more fully. And I was finding that with having all of those contributors each month, it was really hard to pull out specific things and really share their work in a way that maximized it for them and for the site. Whereas now we have this one person each month who does this series and we can, you know, highlight their cookbooks on this site. We can promote them on our social media and have them really be a part. I, I have them; each of these new contributors comes on the podcast and we talk about their topic on my podcast. So yeah, that's how we've changed it. So yes, if you have listeners who are cookbook authors or who have a very sort of niche kind of specialty cooking online, then yes, they can absolutely get in touch. And that's how we're doing it. They can email me at Christine at cookthestory.com.
0: Okay. Very cool. So you launched the site in September 2015 Mm -hmm. and it got traction right away. And it because of that bulk of content. Mm -hmm. So How have you continued to grow it? And then I want to touch on the monetization side of it. You know, Mm -hmm. how is it, how is it making money also?
1: Yeah. So I, I can, I continue to grow it in a very similar way in terms of deciding on the, the content. So for both sites, I am constantly looking into the stats and looking to see what which posts or recipes are doing better than they used to be? Like, I'm suddenly seeing a little bit more traffic over here. And then I, I dig in and try and figure out if there's other items that are related to that that are also doing well. And then that will help me determine what content to do going forward. So, for instance, on the Cookful, for whatever reason, chicken wings are our most popular topic on the Cookful. And like, on Super Bowl Sunday, we sometimes get as many as 200,000 visitors just to this one baked chicken wing recipe. It's wonderful. It's crispy chicken wings in the oven. You can make a whole big pan or three pans of them, feed everybody. Super simple, super delicious. It's a great recipe. But for whatever reason, Google loves our chicken wing recipe as much as I do or more than I do. And it shows up, I think, first in search results for like baked chicken wings, crispy chicken wings for a bunch of those things. So chicken wings in general do very well on that site. And so we're just continuously adding a little bit of chicken wing content. We've done, I think, two extra chicken wings series on the site that we kind of tack on to that one. So it just gets bigger and bigger. Now we have instant pot chicken wings and I actually am working on a pork wings recipe that will go into that series as well. And then we did a topic, like a series on Buffalo, Buffalo chicken. So kind of related to chicken wings. So we're all, and then, and then trying to sort of tease out, like, is it the game day aspect of the chicken wings that the search engines think that we have authority for that we're really great at, or is it the chicken part? So, you know, we're, we are doing both chicken stuff a lot and also like dips and spreads and appetizers and trying to nail down which of those it is, or even just gain authority in those areas which it it seems to be doing. Our air fryer appetizers are doing really, really well. And also instant pot chicken. I think that instant pot chicken thighs is now possibly the second most popular post on that site. And I really think that that is coming from looking into the stats, seeing what is doing well, and then trying to find trends among those things and do more things like that that's so fun to me
0: <laughs> just you know thinking about all these you know little different different areas like i'm thinking you know little branches off of this one topic mm-hmm. and exploring mm-hmm. and then seeing what's going to get picked up and and what can help build that traction so we can think about that as non food bloggers about you know looking at looking at our stats and figuring out those trends and then mm-hmm. what are the related posts and content that we can create around that so is yeah. that what you would recommend
1: Yes, absolutely. And I mean, it it helps for, I mean, you can do the interlinking kind of stuff too, right? If something is very closely related, then it's very easy to link. So there's two different linking strategies. Well, I mean, there's lots of linking strategies, but I do two different things. So for instance, the baked chicken wing post that I was telling you about, that one does really, really well. I try to not touch it very much because I don't want to screw up whatever might be happening, but There's also, so I don't tend to do anything to that one, but I will link from new chicken wing posts to that one and just try and show that these are all connected through, through linking. Do you know what I mean? Yes.
0: Yes, for sure. So then Google can see, and that can help. Mm -hmm. I'm still learning SEO myself, but (laughs) (laughs) so Google, so that kind of adds juice to your authority also with Google's eyes. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, and along the way you mentioned at the beginning, you have published, what did you say? 40 plus cookbooks? You've lost track. So how, where Uh did those come in the mix? What, what point did you start launching cookbooks, writing cookbooks? And then how have you built this robust library?
1: Yeah. Okay. So it started actually as part of the original concept of the Cookful. for each of those original series that we did, we would then take all of the content. So all of the recipes, the informational post, everything, and reformat it into a PDF with high res images. And we created eBooks from those that we were originally just using as lead magnets. So the idea was to highly target to the readers. So for instance, if you were on a chicken one of the chicken wing recipes, you would get a pop-up for the chicken wing ebook, right? If you were instead on popcorn, a popcorn recipe, how to pop popcorn on the campfire, you would get a pop-up about, you know, get our whole free ebook on popcorn recipes, whatever it was. And so originally that's what they were. Were sort of free PDF books that were specific to the topic just scraped from the site, but, and you know, there was a, a phase there where I felt weird about it. Like I was not tricking people, but then I found, I, I use the eBooks quite a bit. Like it's just a different packaging. They're easier to like look at on my phone. Sometimes everything is in order in one place, you know, but yes, yeah, so it was that. And then we started, we, we converted them into like Kindle versions and started selling them on Amazon for $0.99 ninety nine a few years ago and so there's those books one for each of the topics that we were doing and then and we stopped using them as lead magnets then and then we also packaged together all of those soups those 15 minute soups i was telling you about those all got packaged into a quick soup cookbook which is really cool. I really like that one a lot. It's got like a meal planning guide at the beginning, suggesting which soups to make at which time of the year and lots of tips in the book for how to cook more quickly, specifically about soups. But I think a lot of the tips are just really great for anybody who wants to learn to cook more quickly. It's a great book for that. And then, oh gosh, was it two years ago already? We came out with our like really I think my, my favorite of all the books, it's called The All-New Chicken Cookbook. And that one has chicken recipes from both sites, pulled from both sites, and then a whole bunch of new original ones. And the recipes are, they range from like traditional cooking, roast chicken in the oven, chicken cordon bleu, all those sort of old classic chicken recipes, as well as all kinds of modern flavors, of course, chicken wings and and buffalo chicken and that kind of thing. And also recipes for the Instant Pot and air fryer. So you get all your like classic chicken recipes done the way your grandmother used to make all the way to new exciting flavors from all around the world using the appliances that we now have in our kitchen.
0: Okay. So going back to the the lead magnet pop-up where you mm-hmm. said it was highly targeted. So if somebody was on a post then you'd give them a related lead magnet, mm-hmm. is there like a plugin that you were using for that? Or how did you, because mm-hmm. I know that can be very manual to go into each specific mm-hmm. post. So were you doing it manually or did you have some kind of like faster trick to add those pop-ups there?
1: Yeah. So we used opt-in monster, which is a pop-up provider. <laughs> I don't know yes. what to call them. <laughs> Opt-in monster. <laughs> yes. And it actually works really well with WordPress where you, you end up going into the backend of WordPress into the plugin, the opt monster plugin on WordPress, and then you can select which pop-ups you want to show up per category. So oh, okay. I make a chicken wing ebook pop-up lead magnet pop-up. And then I go into the backend and say, show the chicken wing ebook pop up to any, but any posts that are categorized with chicken wings.
0: Okay. Very cool. And so that makes it
1: easier. Okay, good. Super Thank easy. You. And it, it's great because if you add, like if, if like I said, we keep adding to the chicken wing category because it does so well. Yes. And so that just, those are all just going to get added in there. We don't actually, like I said, we don't use the, right. the eBooks as lead banks anymore, but it, it was super convenient and easy to use.
0: Okay. Very cool. So so now with the cookbooks, so you have several different cookbooks plus the all new chicken cookbook. Mm-hmm. How are you promoting them? Are those being promoted with pop-ups? Are you do you have like funnels for your email newsletter? Are do you have sidebar
1: ads on your site for them? How are you promoting those? Making consistent sales? We have Facebook ads, more Facebook ads to get newsletter subscribers, and then yes, as you said, it's kind of a. a trickle campaign. And the cookbook comes up every so often in there where relevant. I do a lot of my newsletters are things like if I do, you know, my favorite weeknight dinner or easiest, easiest grilling recipes for the summer, like that kind of newsletter. And if any of those topics are very chickeny, then I'll put at the bottom of it, a link to the cookbook. We have a really nice website for the cookbook that I love. I think it. I think it converts really well once people go over there. And so mostly through the newsletter, I'm 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 a guest on podcasts quite often, talking about that. I have a PR firm that I work with who've also gotten me a lot of great TV spots and podcast interviews like this and mentions in in print. Not so much directly for the cookbook, but yeah, in that. In that vein. And then in blog posts that are chicken related chicken recipes, I mention and link to the cookbook in those places. And we do giveaways regularly. Yeah, that's pretty much how we promote it. Okay. And what is that URL for the cookbook? And we'll put that in
0: the show notes for everybody to check out.
1: Oh yeah, it's all new Okay.
0: Perfect. We will add that to the show notes. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. Okay. So what other monetization strategies are you using for both of the sites? Are you still doing a lot of sponsorships or is that shifted? What are you doing to monetize
1: both sites? Yeah. So monetization now is, I want to say exclusively, almost exclusively ad revenue I do affiliate links also, and that's uh, maybe 10% of the income, but the ad revenue became very lucrative. I mean, we get, we have over 2 million visitors, 2.5 million per month now and tend to get pretty good RPM, like per thousand visitors. I think because the content is really good and very targeted. It's easy for advertisers to see what the content is. So I do mostly that. Sponsorships I got away from for very strategic reasons. It was that I was noticing that the sponsored posts never tend to do well over the long run in analytics. So I do a sponsored post for somebody, say using olive oil or, or I don't know, their brand of chickpeas or whatever it is. And that recipe would do a little bit well at the beginning when it was first posted, just because it's new and it's got the new social media boost behind it. Maybe the sponsor is also sending some traffic and then it would decline really quickly. And so I think just probably search engines don't love serving up sponsored content as much, but that meant that my posts that I do that are just you know, not sponsored, just pure content over their lifetime end up making a ton more than any sponsor was willing to pay, you know, like, I think I, I did a formula for this at some point, like what percentage of my posts end up making, you know, a thousand dollars. So and it, it's about one in six posts ends up making at least a thousand dollars within two years or something like that. Like, uh, and that's like the minimum, which meant that if somebody is only paying me $500 or only paying me $1,000 for that post. And then it's not going to do anything on my site after that, because it's not going to show up in search rankings. That's all the money that I'm going to make from that. I'd be better off making a not sponsored recipe with my time and my ingredient money and everything and putting it up and hoping that it's one of the ones that grows and does better. The other thing with the sponsored posts is they tended to really want a lot of course, because they're paying you. So like certain language in the post about their product and certain hashtags used and and sometimes quite intricate and it stopped feeling authentic. It felt really forced and it was more time consuming, like to write a blog post that's hitting all of these points. And I'm, I'm doing that work, making the recipe, making sure I use their product, make sure I photograph it well, with the product in the background and all of that, and then hit all their points, knowing the entire time that it's not going to likely grow on my site. That became hard to justify. So we've stopped doing it. I would probably entertain doing it again as more like a house brand kind of idea. Like if, if a brand ever approached me and was like, whenever you use stock, we want you to use our, our stock or something like that. I would probably be open to an ongoing partnership, but the like, pay once or twice or or something like that for a very specific post that tended to be too much work for the amount of money that it was.
0: Yeah. That makes sense that you have more control over the kind of content that you want to produce that Mm -hmm. you can see is going to have a longer lifespan. And Mm -hmm. so what I'm, I'm curious how you came up with that calculation for mm-hmm. the one in six posts make approximately a thousand dollars. What did you look at to figure that out just so other people can be looking at their numbers and stats to figure that out for themselves?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So I opened up Google analytics and it's like behavior, all site content, something like that on the left panel where you can see all of your posts. And I basically, I know how many posts I have, but if you look at the analytics, you can, they, they all look like your normal links cookthestory.com slash chicken wings kind of things to a point. And then you get down to lower down in there and they start being like search, just weird links. So I was able to find out like how many posts do I have that are getting any kind of traffic. So whatever number that was, say a thousand of them. And then I can see, I can sort them by the amount of traffic they get and sort of do a cutoff. So if, so if I want to know how many posts made $1,000 in two years, I can sort them by how much traffic they got and then look at it over the two-year span and figure out how many page views translates to $1,000. So I my RPM is usually around $30 per 1,000 visitors. So somebody would need to get huh, three times, probably... 30,000, it will probably need to, I I think that's right, 30,000 page views over two years. Okay. So basically sort them, look at the full two years and sort them and look at how many posts hit that 30,000. I hope that math was right, hit that 30,000 traffic number in that two year period, and then divide how many posts did that versus how many posts total I had.
0: Got it. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So using that RPM number, which Mm -hmm. it it could, I mean, that's likely underestimating because Mm -hmm. then you got the affiliate links, which you said is about Mm -hmm. 10% or so of your revenue, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. then you're linking to your cookbooks. And so you've got these Mm -hmm. other revenue streams. So, so that, but that's just an easy way to kind of look and assess at what these blog posts are really translating for your business.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It it was good. And, and I, I really think that it is stayed fairly consistent. Like, you know, we, we put out maybe 12 new posts on cook the story a month now and a good two or three of them. I start noticing traction on within six or eight months. Like some of them, they just never really do. And then I'll be like, Oh, there's that air fryer mozzarella stick recipe, you know, it's, it's working its way up and it, it seems to be about, about right. I don't know. I am guessing that other, other, obviously other people's sites would have different numbers to that one.
0: Yeah. So how often are you checking your stats and kind of drilling down into this information? Is that like a weekly or monthly or quarterly process? What does that look like for you?
1: So I actually, I look at my stats every day, which I think some people tell you not to, but I I do it for a very important reason to make sure that everything is working. It's the quickest way to just go and see, okay, yesterday's numbers look like about where they should have been. And there are currently people on my site right now. So there is nothing majorly broken. You know what I mean? Uh, We just had the sites redesigned. Oh gosh, they just launched like a month ago. And uh, we misconnected something in the analytics one day and- I Just because I happened to go in there, I was like, oh my God, it shows nobody was here yesterday, what's broken. And thankfully it was just the Google analytics connection and nothing on the site, but we, we needed to get that fixed immediately because our records are going to be off. And I think that my ad network actually uses the Google analytics tracking too. So super, super important to getting paid. So I look yes. at it every day for sure. The drilling down, I look I, every Monday, Sunday is my biggest day. So every Monday morning, the first thing that I do is open up the past week and I compare it to, well, last year always, but last year with the pandemic, the numbers are really screwy. The traffic was way up because people were home more, but RPMs were down because advertisers weren't advertising as much. So it's a bit weird to look at last year. So I nowadays look at the year before also just to get a sense of where we are and make sure we're in the same kind of ballpark area. So I do that every Monday, but in terms of actually like drilling down and looking at things that I do when I'm assigning new recipes to people. So these days I have ghost writers on cook the story who help me with the the recipe development and the photography and the writing. So I assign those recipes to them. And when I do that, I am digging into my stats to see what directions we need to be taking, what content we should be doing. And then I'm also doing a whole lot of keyword research to figure out, okay, if we're going to do a spaghetti and meatballs recipe, what are the top performing spaghetti and meatball recipes online? What do they all have in common? What sorts of terminology do they use? What do their pictures look like? And try to not copy any one thing, get a sense for what tends to do well with the Thinking that what Google or any search engine chooses to rank a recipe, if Google chooses to rank a recipe, it's noticing something about it. And then people are clicking on those recipes. So they're holding that ranking. What is it about these few top ones that they all have in common? And trying to figure that out while also staying true to my own recipe development style and how recipes look on our site. So when I'm doing that the assigning of the content and choosing topics for the cookful that's when i'm digging right into the stats and looking at what's been doing better lately what you know how does that compare to before what direction should we be going in so that's probably once a quarter for cook the story and it ends up being about once a month for the cookful
0: okay that's really helpful thank you for breaking all that down oh you're welcome and on top of everything, you also have a podcast. So when did you launch the podcast and how did this idea come about?
1: Yeah. So the podcast is we're we're coming out with episode number 47 this weekend, and we have not missed a week. So we launched 47 weeks ago and I, I've always wanted to do a podcast. So I am like a hardcore, well, podcast listener. But even before that, when I was just in high school and driving to school and driving to college, I used to have talk radio on all the time. And not even talk radio that like aligned with my, like I tend to be sort of more left leaning in my politics, but that's not what was playing on Winnipeg's talk radio station. So I was listening to whatever, whatever talk radio was on. I just really liked the conversation and hearing intelligent people speaking about things and debating things. So that goes really far back. And then having my own podcast, I, it's one of those things where I kept wanting to do it, but hadn't had like a great idea that really resonated with me. And that really felt that I really got excited about, like, I would be like, Oh, I should just do a cooking podcast. And I can talk about what recipes I've been making and talk to people about the recipes they have on their blogs. Like I would kind of have that thought. And then I'd be like, no, that's, that's not, that's not interesting to me. That's not very exciting. And then I had the idea to do a meal planning podcast. And I think at first it it sounded boring enough to myself and, and my son who's 13, he was, I guess, 12. He laughed out loud when I told him I was thinking about doing a meal planning podcast. But the idea of trying to make that fun and interesting, this thing that everybody has to eat, everybody has to figure out how they're going to get food on their table. And this tends to fall on parents a lot the stress of that and especially on moms and we have to do this thing every week and it's a pain and it's annoying and you have to, are you coming up with healthy food ideas or is it healthy enough for your family? Will everybody eat it? Will it be quick enough? Are you going to make, be able to do all this? It's, it's stressful. And I was thinking, you know, what if I could help people with their meal planning and make it fun? So that was, that was what got me excited about the idea was this like, Okay, meal planning, that sounds boring, but what if we can make meal planning fun? And that's how the podcast started.
0: <laughs> and the podcast is called The Time Management Insider. And it is fun because you start off and you mention the we talk about TMI for the time yeah. management insider. So, can you share like how you how you came up with that angle and mm-hmm. what what you guys what you've been talking about on the podcast and where it's going?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, Time Management Insider TMI, too much information about meal planning and time <laughs> management for inside the home. Uh, that's what we're doing. And oh, and you know, I'll just I I had so much fun. I ended up hiring a music company to come up with the music and they really got me and it's kind of got this, like, I don't know, fun disco vibe. We play a few clips of music throughout the show. So it's lighthearted. And then in each episode, I start off with either some sort of tip or something in my life that I've been noticing that works or a kind of recipe style or something that I think would help people. That's the beginning of the show then I interview somebody. So like I said, I interview the people who are contributing on The Cookful, but I've had I've had really interesting guests who just have interesting challenges to their meal planning. So I interviewed somebody who lives on an antique sailboat and travels around the world on it and how she does her meal planning. Also somebody who is about to start van life. So we did a pre-moving into the van and what she's worried about. And once she's been in the van for a while, we're going to talk more about that. So I talked to like people about how they get their meals on the table. And then I also talk to like cookbook authors and experts about like their tips and strategies for meal planning and also just other time management things the guest that I have on this week, Chris Freytag is a exercise instructor with a website and and her whole philosophy about getting movement into your life and how to fit that into your busy schedule. That was the topic of that show. So yes, we do the interview and then I close out each show with a five-day meal plan. So I do the work and I find five meals that'll work together in terms of ingredients. So you're not buying too many things, but that you have enough variety. And so I walk you through the meal plan at the end of the show, tell you where you can get the links to all the recipes and all of that. And there is a printable grocery list that goes with it. So The hope is that it can be a lot of fun and people can like relax and hear about food and hear about time management topics that are fun and exciting and interesting, and also get a meal plan and grocery list to make their week easier. I love it.
0: I love it so much. I love that. I love how, you know, the focus is really on helping people and making it easy and giving them tips and advice and recipes and then the meal plan to just help make their week easier. That's great.
1: Yeah. Thank you. I really love it too. I use the meal plans. They've been helping me. (laughs) I'm like, I'll do this for my readers. Oh, and I'll take these also.
0: (laughs) I love it. This has been so fun, Christine. Thank you so much for sharing your story and you know, how you've grown two blogs and a podcast and written 40 plus cookbooks. All of it (laughs) has been super helpful. So thank you so much for your time today. It's been really a pleasure getting to know you and having you
1: on the podcast. Oh, thank you so much, Monica. I had a great time.
0: So where can people go list out, list out all the places where they can go and we'll put everything in the show notes.
1: Yeah. Oh, great. Yeah. So cookthestory.com is my blog. And then the cookful is T-H-E-C-O-O-K-F-U-L. And that is a really, like I said, contributor based with all these author cookbook expert people. We've got a sous vide chicken, sous vide, the, the, I swear to God, he is the president of the international sous vide society. And he's doing a series on sous vide chicken on the site. I'm so excited. We've got lots of cool stuff coming up on there. And then I am cook the story on Facebook and Instagram and Pinterest. I am not yet on TikTok, but my daughter keeps trying to convince me. So that might happen yet.
0: Maybe one day. All (laughs) right. Thank you so much. This has been so fantastic. We're going to put all the links in the show notes. Just really appreciate your time today.
1: Oh, thanks so much. Have a great day.
0: You too. I absolutely loved the way that Christine gave us very specific strategies that we can implement today to grow our traffic and ensure that we're focusing on the right monetization strategies. Now, Christine and I would love to know your biggest takeaways from this episode. You can share those with us in the comments at monicalouis.com slash 116 or tag Christine and me on Instagram. I'm at Flourish with Monica and she is at Cook the Story. I want to give a huge thank you once again to Christine for coming on the podcast and sharing her story and her wisdom with us. Be sure to check out her podcast, The Time Management Insider, and her cookbooks, so many of them sounded so good to me. I'm definitely gonna check out the all new chicken cookbook and the 15 minute soup cookbook myself. And you'll find all the links and resources that we mentioned in this episode at monicalouiecom slash 116. And we'll link to a couple of our cookbooks as well. And I wanna thank you so much for joining me today. If you are ready to scale your business with high converting Facebook ads, then check out my free Facebook ad starter kit. You can find that at monicalouiecom slash guide. The Starter Kit takes you through these six simple steps to creating campaigns that convert. Plus, there's an awesome checklist you can make sure you've got everything you need before you dive into the Ads Manager. And if you're like me, then you'd love a good checklist. And big news if you haven't heard, Flourish with Facebook Ads is now fully updated with all the changes for iOS 14. If you are ready to up-level your business this year with high-converting Facebook and Instagram ads, this is the program that will walk you through exactly how to do just that. You can learn more at monicalouis.com slash flourish. As I mentioned, we'll have all the links and resources that we mentioned today in the show notes, and you can find those at monicalouiecom slash 116. If you found this podcast helpful, please be sure to follow the show in your favorite podcast app so you can be notified when the next episode comes out. Brand new episodes come out every single Thursday, and we've got a ton of great episodes, more inspiring guests heading your way. That's all for today. Take care, stay healthy and let's flourish.